when those moments are so meaningful, the last thing you do is trump the moment with something else. You have to make that cigar the special moment. I think cigars are so important because they are misunderstood by the majority. That was the guy with the red pants, pinstripe jacket, yeah. with three pocket squares. <laughs>
more traditionally available through supply and and demand. Um, however, the excitement and need to also restore and rebuild Timeless and Metropolitan took precedent over uh, Core for Ferio. So we did Elegancy and Generoso, then Timeless and Metropolitan, and now finally Core Ferio Tego, which is Suma. And Suma in Latin translates to um, sort of a, a summary or a synthesis of the body of work to date. And that's really what this blend is. I mean, it's, mm. it is truly, it's, it's obviously my latest and greatest, but it also is very evocative of um, my, whatever, 24 years in the business, certainly my last 10 or 12 years blending and creating blends. Um, this is, this is the newest. I think it's just delicious. Feedback has been tremendous. Uh, I'm excited for you guys to try it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. It smells. It you smells. Started, you I know. I'm. 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 I'm cherishing it. Okay. You're doing, I'm, I'm you're getting soaking pre-lit, it all in. All right. Let ritual. me be me. Okay. This is my experience. All right. I'm a big believer in. You gotta look at it. You have to feel it. You have to dry see, smoke see, it. See? You have to smell it's, it. It's all about the pre-light. Well, maybe ceremony. maybe you rushed into it a little too much. Well, no, okay? no, no, no. Maybe but, you didn't cherish right, the moment. Back up real quick. You know. I'm all about the pre-light ceremony, but before on the way here, you're like, I need a cigar bag. You're right. I need you to know, do it. I need listen. a cigar. So I thought you would already have it lit up already. You know you what, know? Eric? You, when you're right, you're right. So that's, that's that's the only reason why I, I say that. Okay. So now I want to ask about the blend, but I do want to – where did you come up with this label? There's like a guy fighting off a snake with five heads here. Okay, so that's what? Hercules. I was just going to say, is that Hercules? Yeah. Striking right. the Hydra, which I forget what the, myth, what the mythological background – Hercules had like – seven tasks he had to go do i forget what it's called uh and one of them was fighting the hydra oh. and that image hercules and the hydra is in the herklots family coat of arms and Feriotego is the herklots family motto wow which in the context of the image means hercules strikes the hydra and disposes of its evils but strike and dispose sucks for a cigar company so in other contexts um Feriotego translates to strike and defend, okay. which ah. totally rings true to what Feriotego is. I was then. That was the next question: Is where does Feriotego come from? So now I know strike and defend. Yeah, if you go on the Feriotego website, that? what language is that? Latin. 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 Yeah, okay. you'll, you'll see the the original Herklots coat of arms and kind of see where it all comes from. Now, how did you uh, take it back real quick? How did you even get involved in the cigar industry? Because I remember when I first started smoking cigars, like six, seven years ago. You know, I knew Nat Sherman. I knew you and Nat Sherman. And, you know, how did that whole thing work? I mean, that out? makes me feel old. <laughs> well, that, I'm assuming that's where the Timeless and Metropolitan yeah. came from, right? Because wasn't that a Nat Sherman thing? I, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started in the business in 1999. Okay. Um, so it's been a long run. Retail uh, in Boston for four years. Then moved to New York City. Um, started working at Davidoff on Madison Avenue. That was 2002. Um, ultimately, I ran retail, the shop at Columbus Circle and Madison Avenue my last three or four years. Then I got recruited to join Nat Sherman in 2011. Um, and then that's that was my first project for Nat Sherman was the Timeless Collection to really create something new and different yeah. that would, as it turned out, kind of um, begin to author what became the final chapter of that business. Um, but nine years with Nat Sherman 
and uh, including three of those that were under uh, Altria ownership. So that was quite a unique experience. Uh, and then once Nat Sherman closed, um, I formed Ferriotego. Uh, we got to work on Elegancia and Generoso, and then we had really the great opportunity to be able to um, acquire the brands of Nat Sherman back and put them under uh, the Ferriotego umbrella, which, you know, just from a personal standpoint, it was an opportunity to continue my work. You know, I mean, these were, it's almost like, I said this the other day in an interview. I'm a drummer. We were just talking drums and music. So imagine when, when you write a song or you record an album, that memorializes the work. You know what I mean? And so even though you, you always want to write new songs and play new music and, and have other artistic opportunities, even if you don't want to play that song again, there's a record of it mm. somewhere. And the part that really disturbed me was the idea that the songs were going to be erased, that all the mm. work that went into Timeless and all the work that went into Metropolitan was just going to, was just going to disappear. That was a, it was a very difficult thing to, to come to grips with. So, we engaged to try and acquire, and Altria was super thoughtful, and, and um, there were other people bidding, but ultimately, as they said, we weren't the highest, we weren't the lowest, but we had a really fair offer, and we were the right party to continue mm -hmm. to work, because it was our work to begin with. How long ago, how long in advance did you know Nat Sherman was on the decline, and you were building your Well, your I think that's plan. an important distinction. Nat Sherman was never on the decline. Okay. It was ultimately a business decision that okay, I didn't know that cigars were not core to Altria's business. Hmm. Um, and some of the decisions they made on the cigarette business just had unintended consequences for the cigar business. And it would have just been too much work and too much money to prop up the cigar business. And so ultimately the decision was to try and sell it as opposed to just close it. Hmm. We were literally at the table signing the deal to sell in March of 2020. And COVID hit as we were completing the deal and it killed the deal. So you so you purchasing the, the Timeless and the Metropolitan was a way to preserve all of that hard work and all of that, that legacy of that cigar brand. Yes and no. Because, and this, I hope this doesn't sound you know, jaded or unappreciative, but in no way is Ferriotego somehow a continuation of some other legacy. No, of course not. Of course so not. This was basically, a, it, it was an opportunity to get credit for the work. It was an opportunity to be able to author the work mm. instead of ghostwriting the work for, for 10 years. Sure. Uh, I see. I but see. they were blends that I... I created it's part of my my body of work and so the opportunity to allow those to live on um, was certainly meaningful to me and meaningful to people who have enjoyed those blends for years and years I mean Metropolitan predates me that started in 1994-1995 people have depended on Metropolitan mm -hmm. for almost 30 years and through no fault of their own that blend was going to go away so the opportunity having spent 10 years protecting that blend, maintaining those blends, 
preserving the experience of those blends to now be able to continue the work still, not on behalf of, but as. It's a pretty awesome... So if I have a Nat Sherman in my humidor still, how long should I age it before it gets really... Just oh, yeah. smoke it, bro. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I like it. that I answer. Yeah, yeah. Just I like it. that answer. But see, that's funny. That that's, brings up a good question, too, is a lot of people say, you know, you have the, the, the guys that are collectors, right? And and I wouldn't really consider myself a collector because I like to smoke yeah. the cigars that no I doubt. have, right? You might be saving some for special occasions, right? Here's the thing. Oh, here we go. Oh, he's gonna learn. He, got, us. he stood up. He's for gonna, yeah, yeah. He's it's a power leaned, right leaned into. You saw him lean forward on that one. Yeah. I've got, I've got humidors all over my house, and every one of them has cigars that I have put away for a special occasion, and I have been blessed with so many special moments, and those fucking cigars are still in there. <laughs> smoke. So you're and, so, to, so to your point, smoke the, them, right? Because the the reason is <laughs> when those moments are so meaningful, the last thing you do is trump the moment with something else. You know, like it's about that moment. Your special moments are special moments. You have to make that cigar the special moment. Mm. And you should do that like Tuesday morning on your drive to work. Take one, cut it and light it and smoke it. Make, make the cigar the moment. Don't, don't add it. Don't make the moment the cigar. Right. Yeah. Right. Something else. I like that. I like that perspective. I have to start smoking some of my bad boys. If we learn anything in COVID, it's, Life is short and precious, and if you woke up today, celebrate today. Do something yes. special today. Yes. Even if that's pulling out one of your dusties from your humidor. Yeah, that, that's, yes, that's, man. That's, that's a very. Well, they say smoke them if you got them, right? Yeah. Can't I take mean, them. Can't take them with you. I was always like, hey, I'm gonna save this moment, this cigar for this moment. Yada yada yada. But you know, when you say it in that perspective, like, don't make the cigar about the moment. Make the moment about the moment. And it's the yeah. same. It's yeah, the same with wine. Uh, it's the same with everything. You know, we uh, save these uh, things. And I can't tell you how many times I've waited and then I crack open the bottle and it's corked. Or like something's wrong. Yeah, because you waited have, too long at that point. Yep. Or I have no idea yeah. when the or flaw were, occurred. Yep. yep. But somehow it's disappointing. Mm. See, that so brings up, that brings up a good, uh, a, a funny story is, is so when my wife and I got married, somebody had gifted us a, a case of um, Farniente, right? One of his favorite bottles of wine, actually. And we had said, okay, you know what? Maybe we'll just hold on to this. Like, this is like a sealed case, right? In the wooden case, everything nailed. I said, you know, maybe we'll save this. And then, like, ah, you know, we'll try one bottle, right? So we opened it up, tried a bottle, tried another bottle. Next thing you know, like, we haven't even been married for a year, and the and the whole case is gone. And it's like, but people say, why didn't you save on some of that? I said, well, you know what? We had the first bottle, and we enjoyed it so much that we That's said, it. screw it. We're just going to keep drinking yeah. this because now that the case is open, we're not selling the case, and you're not going to hold on to these. I can always just buy another bottle of Farniente if I go to the store. It's not like it's a you know 1972 Chateau de Cam that I'm never going to get again. You know, I can always go buy that. So, like you said, you know, make the wine that moment. And th- and you made you made twelve memorable moments. Oh yeah, with those twelve bottles. Yeah, most definitely. Exactly. Exactly. That's, right. that's worth that's way how, more than one unopened case. That's how I'm looking at it from now on. That's yeah, because what forward. is the ca- what is the case worth? Oh, maybe fifteen hundred bucks. Okay. Who gives a shit? Who yeah. gives a shit? Just now you have twelve moments of It's not worth as much as twelve bottles with your wife one at a time. You know what? And you know, it's and it's point. the small moments too, because it's not like we were we were sitting in the basement watching a movie and have that bottle of wine and we're like, wow, this bottle's so good. But that's, that's it. And you that's, made, that's you the, made moment. the bottle yeah. the moment. Yes. Yeah. Eating pizza and watching a movie. It's that's how it, it should reminds be. me of my dad, because my dad is very uh family oriented, loves to do family trips and stuff like that. And you know he'll 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 go on a trip and he'll be like you know what 
yeah, it was a little more expensive than I wanted to, but this one picture here is worth every penny. He's like, we got everyone in the picture. We had all good moments. It was worth every single dollar. He's like, so think about that when you when you plan trips, when you do things. Don't worry about the money or the monetary value. Don't worry about the moments and the things that you occur through life because that's what it's all about. Yeah, you're always going to make money. Yeah. Always, always, there's always ways to make money. You can always make more, hopefully. Yeah. That's well, that's the, that, you know, that's the... That's the idea. That's funny that you brought up the pizza, right? Well, real quick thing is <laughs> the most, probably the most bougie thing that we've ever done is you order for every time for Valentine's Day, you order like we get a $10 pizza and we get like a $200 bottle of wine. <laughs> it's, like the, yeah. it's like the most bougie thing ever. That's it. <laughs> and it's pizza? great. And it's, it's, yeah, of course. Heart-shaped pizza. It costs $10 and you get a $200 bottle of wine. But so, okay. So we go from, you know, you have the Nat Sherman. You go Now you're into Ferriotago. Otago. Okay, now did you always, like when you were a kid, you said you were a drummer, right? So I'm assuming that you didn't always want to get into the cigar business. You didn't grow up like no. being in the cigar no. industry, you know what I'm saying? So how did you get into the cigar industry as a kid? Because you said you've been in it for 20 plus years, yep. but started as a music background, which when we'll I was probably in college, go into as well. Uh, I smoked my first cigar in college. Do you, remember, do you remember what it was? Ashton Classic Panatella. Okay. Um, one of my roommates in college was this kid from Pittsburgh who liked cigars. Who, Funny enough, I was just in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago, and he came to the event. And I said, I've told this story a thousand times, but I've never told the kid from Pittsburgh story with the kid from Pittsburgh. And here he is. Um, but <clears throat> smoked my first cigar in college, loved it. But as a broke musician, I couldn't afford the hobby. So I figured if I got a job in retail... I'd be able to hopefully get a discount and learn a little and, you know, be able to afford it. So I got a job in retail while I was pursuing music and that was it. I mean, I just, I fell in love with it. I loved the interaction. I, I integrated it a lot too. So I, my, my focus was jazz. So I would, and at the time you could smoke in all kinds of places. So I would go into these spots that were cigar friendly and then I would pitch my quartet to like add a cigar, uh, add a live music component. And I did that everywhere. So like half the joints I played had a humidor in the back that I stocked. And then my trio or quartet, whatever, would play there at the same. It was great. So were you, were you ever like smoking cigars while you're drumming during a gig? You know, I tried it. I thought that'd be like a fun shtick. Hard to do. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible so idea. Hard to do. I inhale half of it. I was like <laughs> zonked. I forget it. So no, I kept them separate. Kept so them that's separate. that's how you got into cigars, and then and then from there, man, as an artist, when you have that that passion gene, doesn't matter what it is, you just you fall quickly for things. You know, you you. It's so easy to identify interest or love or affection and then you just go all in it's the curse of an artist yeah you obsess over it and so as much as music was my discipline it was also like the thing i had to do now so cigars really became my hobby and my break from doing the work so i was working nearly full-time in cigars as my break from my pursuit of music and so they they really allowed one offered a break from the other. Mm. So, I, I mean, I look back, I never worked harder in my life. Like, even still, I worked harder those four years of college than I've ever worked 
But it's almost like it's not even work because, you know, when you're, let's say, doing the, the, the gigs, that's fun. And then you say, okay, I need a little break from that because I'm working so hard. And now you go into a second passion. Right. Which is I your mean, cigars. Let's, like, let's I need not, a break from that. I mean, it's still work. Let's but, not make, you know. Uh, it's work. It's work, work is work. Yes, but. But when you're doing something that you love, it's worth the work. It's worth the work. Okay? Right. It's not like you're sitting on the highway, you know, trying to pave the road in 115 degree weather and you absolutely That's, hate it. I'm not know? turning big rocks into you little know, rocks. Like, I'm you're, very fortunate. It's hard work, but it's but worth that, it. So that curve was really just a matter of uh, two things. One was personally and emotionally becoming comfortable with the idea of modifying my plan A. Because when you're in pursuit of becoming a successful musician and then you give up. That's a hard pill to swallow mm. when you're you're pursuing anything. Yeah. Sports, no. music, you know, when you when you say to yourself, I'm gonna go do this instead, and you move those chips, that's a that's a serious feeling of defeat. However, I I became so my strategy was because I loved music so much and I loved this cigar thing so much, my strategy was simply I was not going to say no to an opportunity if I was able to say yes. And so my time with Davidoff at, back then, that was 2002, 3, 4, they just launched Xeno Platinum. And the guy who was doing all the Xeno Platinum events ended up getting ill. So I said, look, I'll do all the events. We moved all the events to Monday nights. I worked Wednesday through Sunday at the Davidoff shop, Sunday night or Monday morning, I fly to a city, do an event Monday night, fly home Tuesday, and then I'd work Wednesday through Sunday. And for me, that was like, that's the perfect example of there was an opportunity that I could do that mm -hmm. I could say yes to, and I'm going to go do it. And that opened up doors. Same with you know, visiting factories or, or spending time with, with cigar manufacturers. I got invited to go to the, my first trade show in 2003 I had to pay for myself, but I got the opportunity to go. So I said yes and met new people, made a lot of relationships that are still near and dear today. But then at the same time, I tour, I did a seven-day tour of the UK playing in a band. I did, um, you know, tour a bunch of stuff in, on the West Coast playing music. And I would take vacation from the cigar business to go do the music stuff. So for me, it was if I can say yes and I can balance them, I'm going to keep doing that until one just ends up beating out the other. Right. That was right. my next question. When was that day? When yeah, I was like, just going to ask I can't that. Do the, I can't do the music so thing there no were more. A, there were a series of, of um, withdrawals and deposits of eggs and baskets. So 2006, I said yes when I got offered the GM position at Davidoff Columbus Circle. That was probably the first significant transfer of eggs okay. from Music Basket to Cigar Basket. 2008, the GM of Madison Avenue left and they started a, a new, they created a new position that they offered me to run both shops. It was a great opportunity. A few more transfers into the Cigar Basket. 2011, I got recruited to Nat Sherman to, to ultimately run everything non-cigarette. And develop the cigar brand. And re that was like dream come true. So that was certainly like 
really most of the and eggs. Everything. So I had like four eggs left over here. And then honestly, um, that was 2011 when I joined that Sherman. I got married in 2010. We had our first born in 2013. And I remember playing a gig like right around, I guess my first was already born. Maybe she was pregnant with the second. And like I was in a rehearsal for a gig for like two nights. And then I had to lug my stuff to the club and unload. And the whole time I'm thinking, my wife is home. My baby is home. It's 1030. I'm a 35-year-old man, still <laughs> double parked on Bleecker Street, unloading my stuff. Like, come. You're like, what, what the am, fuck am I what doing? What am I doing? You know? I got a real job. That's the light bulb I have bulb a real moment. career. I have a family at home. And I'm lugging my shit into this club at 1030. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say no, but I'm just going to be more, use more discretion about what I say yes to on the music side. And so really then that was, that was quite all in. So now, so now is, now is that basket still there? That music basket still there? Just doesn't have a lot of eggs in it. Cause you had said that you had played a show yeah. you know, prior, prior, be- you know, before hitting record, we were talking about the last time, you know, I'm a drum. I was a drummer. You're a drummer. So yeah. the basket's still there. The, the passion the for, there. for drumming is still there. The basket's there. The drums are there. The drums I mean, are still yeah. there. Drums are set up. And, Just not uh, making you any money. <laughs> uh, no. And, and, and honestly, I mean, we were talking before we started recording. I, I've, been, I've been on the road for, you know, eight months, some, six months. I don't know. Um, Feels like three years for us, man. You know, it, you know how long well, we've been trying to get right, you on the right, show. I mean, I've been on the road <laughs> since we started shipping. So October of twenty one, right? Um, to me, like, like people say, "Oh man, you must smoke cigars all the time." Like, I, I smoke when I have to. I smoke for work. I smoke when it's convenient and it's fun. But, like, to me, smoking cigars and playing drums are the two most selfish things I can do <laughs> when I'm only home you know, two nights a week, like, Hey guys, I missed you all week. I'm going to go up in the attic and make loud noises. Like, you know, (laughs) that's awful. Like it's not something I can do with my family. Right. This isn't something I can do with my family. No, unless you, unless you teach all your kids to play an instrument. Hey, listen, you pick up guitar, you pick up bass, honey, you play the piano. Now we can do it. Yeah. That ain't happening. Yeah. So (laughs) needless to say, there's less drumming, but there's a lot more family time and that's worth it. How old are your kids? I have no idea. No. <laughs> uh, nine and seven. The music, they get into the you music know what? side. It's so, it's so in, they're two completely different personalities, and they are both um, finding their own interests. And, and you know, like my, my wife played an instrument, but she was more athletic. I obviously have no athletic bone in my body whatsoever. <laughs> Um, so I was more music and it's, so it's just fun to like, let the kids discover what they're doing. They both have incredible rhythm. They both have incredible pitch. Um, but neither one has really expressed a profound interest in music. And when you are in the more of the music scene, who are some of the artists bands that you looked up to idolize? You know, who would you listen to all the time? Yeah. You said you were a jazz. I was more mostly jazz, jazz drummer. Yeah. Okay. But it's a very difficult question to answer because i find inspiration everywhere Mm. you know i mean what we're just i was just talking to my dad buddies yesterday about metallica 
you know, you wouldn't big think... Big cigar guy, by the way. Big cigar guy. Big cigar guy. But as a as a jazz drummer, you would think there's not a lot to learn from Lars Ulrich. But what there is to learn from him is how thoughtful and deliberate he plays. He plays with a certain level of um, awareness of the song and the context that you need all that stuff as a jazz guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I listen to stuff that I didn't necessarily play. No, it's actually interesting you said that you can draw inspiration from anywhere because I was watching a an interview of um, Nirvana's drummer. And there's the, everybody knows the song, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And there's that famous intro, right? When he's like, Katoom, boom, right? And he's hitting the snare drum, right? They asked me, like, how do Drummer did, noises. Right? I love yeah, that. Like, yeah, Only yeah, drummers yeah. speak drummer. Yeah. And no one. Yeah. Got them. Got them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so if you're not a drummer, you're like, you don't know. He knew what I was saying. Everybody else about. had no idea what I was saying. But um, they, they asked me, like, you know, that's, it fits so perfectly for the song. I said, where did you come up with that? He goes, honestly, he goes, it's from, like, 70s disco tracks. And there was a 70s disco band that, he goes, played a song. So they played the song. It was the exact same thing. And the guy says, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah, I stole it. Because everybody knows Smells Like Teen Spirit. They know the song, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. know that drum part. He goes, I stole that part. He goes, I was listening to disco. I was like, oh, that would probably fit. And bang. So he took a disco drum track and he inserted it into his like alternative rock and it worked. For me, it's the, sa- it's the same in this business. If you look at the people who are the best in their field, they're not generally finding inspiration from their field they're that's that's why that's why artists are so ridiculous and don't make any money because they waste it all on like a month trip to italy you know chefs do the same thing i'm, I'm gonna finding go discover- myself <laughs> yeah but but you think about you know what what does that do you you taste things differently you see things differently you see the way people move and interact and and socialize and that inspires ideas that allow you to be innovative you know if you're if you're just learning within your discipline it's it's very difficult to to think outside of the box and do things differently and so like you don't smoke my cigars and taste drums and wine and and food but music and wine and food and hospitality have inspired the brand and the product in in different ways for sure yeah and it's and and no different than Lars Ulrich inspiring right. me to play better jazz exactly and the thing with the cigar industry too is like i mean you have everybody here that's that has come together over you know cigars and you can draw inspiration from when it comes to name the name just the naming alone of cigars right or when it comes to hey you know i want a cigar that i can smoke while i'm sitting in my backyard having a cup of coffee and you can blend a cigar like that or i want a cigar that is you know i'm going to smoke on the golf course it's just kind of have you know neutral flavors and I don't really have to worry about it you can come up with so you can have inspiration from anywhere in your life to create um, a cigar or create a piece of art or create a dish if you're a chef or create a piece of music if you're an art very a musician few people, very few artists are satisfied doing exactly the same thing the same way forever I mean, even even the greatest Broadway stars who are, who are playing the same role in the same show eight shows a week are still doing other things. Yeah, you'll get burnt out if you do the same thing over and over again. For me, I think the parallels between cigars and music are so strong. Like we were saying earlier, the idea that you're constantly trying to write better music, but you have the opportunity to memorialize them in albums. And then when you play shows, 
of course people want your hits, but they also are there to hear your new work. Exactly. You know, and you exactly. can't. Exactly. So you get to try things out and and show things and and being able to experience that live is very different than just experiencing it and discovering it on your own, which is why I've I've called the this whole road show a tour because it really is. These yeah. are like live performances of engaging with consumers and and retailers and talking about the products and telling more context to the stories of brands that perhaps they already love or allowing them to discover that in real time live some new song that they haven't heard before yeah it's exactly it's like when you go to a concert right you want to go to the concert you want to hear some of their you know their hits and they might hear some of the new songs that they haven't released yet same thing you have you have a cigar brand and people want to you do an event people want to come and and meet you and try your cigars that they've had in the past that they really enjoy and they say okay what new do you have right it's the same thing as, as going to a concert right it's the same thing as you know going to meet one of your a famous actor or something it's everybody loves the brand and they love like what the brand represents and when you do these events it's their opportunity to come and meet you in person and hear more about the brand and discover what's new behind the brand which goes back to the the transfer of eggs was not a difficult decision because the whole reason I wanted to be a drummer was because I loved performing and I loved creating and I loved collaborating and I loved you know that that spontaneity uh I loved the hustle trying to book gigs and put groups together and travel like all those things I'm literally doing all of those things like everything I ever wanted yeah. to do I'm doing I'm just doing it completely differently no than, music in a total different industry right. yeah what's the uh what do you find the most difficult being like a life on the road you know the traveling cigar salesman you know because I always wonder because we have our own cigar brand but you know it's there's so many cigar lounges and so many different personalities what do you find the hardest about Remembering my hotel number. Uh, <laughs> that's not that bad. Bro. That's pretty easy. You get back after a long event. It's 1 a.m. And you're like, who knows how many cocktails you've had. 314? You know? Was I in 314 last night? No, where, you're in the wrong hotel. I? You're in the non next to it. I mean, that honestly, that can really be a challenge. I take a picture of my hotel door when I walk in to every room. Mm-hmm. So at least I remember... Yeah, but now you got to make sure that you're in the right hotel. Also problematic, you know. Um, no, I'll tell you a story about man? that, but <laughs> um, because you know, I, I I'll, think I'll of, tell you what the hardest is. Go ahead. It, it's it's not necessarily the the road life thing. Um, for me, the hardest challenge is for consumers to have the confidence to brag about my brand and i've said this a bunch but we there's always been this idea of social permission right and and in our business you think of rooms like this cigar lounges i've seen it my whole career where a new brand comes in store owners hot on it turns a couple regulars onto it and before you know it the whole lounge is digging that that brand because there's the social permission already there to love it. But now the barrier for that social permission is so that bar is so high because of social media mm. that 
you didn't have to smoke what everyone else was smoking when you walked into a lounge. You hear the story, you smoke whatever you want. But to post it, you're only posting what's going to be met with the reaction you're hoping for. Right. Like, 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 like. The whole comment, idea comment, of comment, social comment, media. Comment. Yeah. And that algorithm does not work for new brands. Doesn't work when, for cigars, period, basically. But, but not not the actual algorithm, the social no, algorithm. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Because you only post and brag about the thing that you know is already known, right? We only brag about our right. trophies for the, like, look at me thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, you're not going to, you're only going to post a pair of, like, you know, Balenciagas because, you know, everybody else knows what that is. But right. if you Meanwhile, got a pair you, of shoes, like, you know, from DSW that nobody knows, even if they look exactly the same, you're not going to post it because people don't. So you're that, not going to get that reaction that you want. Part. And that is a lot of it's a lot of boots on the ground mm. and one on one telling stories and sharing our story. And, you know, every day that goes by, a new person discovers the brand. And the first thing that person does is start to go look at what the story is and who's smoking it and who's enjoying it and what, you know, what is the, what is the tale of this brand and can I love it? Sure. And every day that goes by, there's more content and there's more support. And thank God we have great retailers who are willing to tell our story and amplify our story louder than the other stories in that humidor. Um, but that has been the hardest for sure. Yeah. Social media is really funny with cigars just because of all the restrictions it puts on. But uh, what I mean, though, is not just the challenge of social media, but the broader challenge of the permission to love, the permission to brag, the permission to amplify. Whether it's on social, whether it's in rooms like this, it's in your own backyard. You know, it's when you get invited to go play golf in a foursome. You're not bringing your favorite everyday value cigar that day. You're bringing the banger. Right, it's guns blazing. When you go to your friend's house, oh yeah, you don't grab the bottle of wine that you drink every day with your wife. You have to go to the store to buy a trophy because you want to be the guy. Yeah, you, you got to show, show up. up. Yeah, right. You have to show up flexing, and so Ferriotego is a brand to flex with. It's kind of interesting because with, and it's a shame that the it's kind of the way that the world has has become where. We talk about all the time. People have become basically sheeple where they, they, they want others to tell them, you know, how to think. Right. And it goes a point along what you're saying is that they want the permission to say, all right, no, this is cool. And I can post about this, you yeah. know, instead of just taking it, taking onus and be like, no, I like this. I'm going to post about it. And it's it's like they they become this world full of, of but I need somebody that I need. I know. But it's I mean, it's this become, is marketing one on one. But it's become more apparent now with social media, and and you can see, you know how everybody. Yeah, reacts but here's now. the other thing. And it shouldn't be like that. It should here's be like, just thing. just post. Twenty it if you years like ago, it. at least the the social interaction was reality. Yeah. Like what right. was happening was actually happening. You were yes. influencing in real time with real things and real people. Now, I mean, I love seeing pictures of people flexing with their best that you know goes back on the shelf or it goes you know it's like I mean, I'm here's, shit, here's I was the cigar here's the started. whiskey here's my watch here's my lighter I'm like the cigar's not lit the bottle's yeah, and not it goes, open yeah it goes back on the like, shelf I'm not yeah. impressed right you know I don't need a picture of your collection right it's but, funny you, it's funny you mention that because when I first started doing Instagram like six seven years ago 
exactly what I did. I took all my best cigars. <laughs> I put on my best stuff. Of course. I was like, I'm just going to put it on. But then I felt kind of really fake. I was like, you know, I'm not. People are going to catch on. Like Somebody, what was the hashtag? Why are your cigars never burning? Something, yeah. Something <laughs> ridiculous like that. And I'm like, people are going to catch on eventually that my bottle of whiskey isn't open. My cigar's not lit. So then I just started taking actual just still frames of the items. You of know, the I moment. Would, I would put the matches and I'd be like, all right, this is a little more acceptable because, you know, I have a moral compass. I'm like, I can't keep posting, you know. On Instagram, say straight flexing, but like I'm not even flexing. It's kind of fake. You know, yeah. It's 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 it's, co- it's called being like being genuine, right? And yeah, a lot of exactly. times you see that on on Instagram now is it was, there was a lot a thing- harder to to fake and to pose when you actually had to roll up right. with the car. You right. know what I mean? Like right. you couldn't pretend to own a Benz. Right. You either yeah. there was a Mercedes in the parking lot or there wasn't. Right. And <laughs> right? now, like, and now it. nowadays, it's like it's that 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 quote that people say where you know. People aren't what they post about or aren't always what they post about, right? Because you can see some guy, you can rent a Lamborghini and go rent a big-ass Airbnb and be like, yeah, you know, I make you know a million dollars a month. Come follow my program. Right. And it's like that's – it looks great on Instagram, but that's not always it's not what it's about. So to your point is, you know, back 30 years ago, there was no Instagram. It was – you are who you are in real time, and there is no faking. And if you were it. a fraud, you had to work really hard. I mean, that was like Man. serious effort. Yeah, it's just it's just a shame how how that's kind of, and and I do blame social media for that. And social media could be a blessing and a curse depending on how you use it, right? If you use it to promote and like what we're doing right now to bring people together over you know our cigars and our industry over whatever it is, it's a blessing. But sometimes it's a curse because it it creates this need for um approval from everybody right that's what everybody needs the likes i gotta post because i gotta get likes because i'll feel better about myself that's scary and it's scary because that's that's tainting our our youth where you don't need the approval of your peers like is that person our our adults everybody is that person paying your bills no then who gives a shit what they say who cares if they like your post i remember if you uh, like it post it i think cigars are so important to us because they are misunderstood by the majority. Mm. Yes. So when you have something that is so profoundly misunderstood by most people, and yet it's so meaningful to you, when you meet one other person that shares the affection in this most misunderstood thing, it's instant kinship. Yes. Which is why every cigar lounge looks like this. It's a abs- people walk into places like this most and go ah, right. Except for us, we walk in and we're like, "Yep, uh, let's yes." Go. What's your story? What's your story? What's going on? And we already know that what we have in common is the thing that we have the least in common with with everyone else in our lives that mm. doesn't get this, and oh. they can't understand it either. You know, they really can't. No, it's you know, it's it's an amazing thing the cigar culture and the cigar community that it doesn't matter. Who you are, where you're from, what you believe in. If you walk into a cigar lounge, you can sit down with somebody and have a two-hour conversation. You've never met them before, but you have a connection over cigars, and you understand how they feel, and they understand how you feel when it comes to cigars. Like, this is my zen. This is where I get a chance to sit back, to relax. You can have a great conversation. And when you try to explain it to other people, they don't get it. Yeah, They don't right. understand it until like, we've had plenty of friends that we've you know brought them over into this realm. And they go, holy shit, now I understand why well, we you enjoy be, it so much. We also have to be careful that we don't, you know, when, when we begin, we want this sense of inclusivity. But then it's very easy for us to get 
protective and exclusive. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and and for that new person that walks in, you know, when, if you walk into a new joint and you feel like you're interrupting something, that's a terrible first impression for someone walking in. So it's also important to to maintain as you create that culture that you keep it inclusive enough where when someone walks in, sometimes you have to be the first one yeah. to say, hey, welcome in. Come on in. I haven't seen yeah, you before. Come, where yeah, are you down. from? This yeah. is Joe. This is John. You know, that's a, that's an important part of preserving that culture. Yes. It's, it's, it's almost a responsibility that you take when you become – you know, a regular at a yeah. lounge. That's your responsibility is you come in, you hang out with your friends, but you're also supposed to welcome any newcomers it's into also the, the community. It's the responsibility of the retailer to make sure that you don't, um, you don't punish your best customers with less. I mean, we're the only – I said this the other day. We're the only industry that punishes our best customers with less service. How do you mean? Like in so many shops, when you become the regular and Joe walks in, it's like, oh, that's Joe. He always smokes uh, Metropolitan Host. I know what he's got. Yep. Metropolitan Host. You I, know bring exa- him out. I know exactly what you're saying. He goes and gets yep. it himself. I know exactly what you're saying. Sits down in the same chair. Yeah. Cleans his own ashtray. Yeah, I know exactly you know, what you're saying. Like, could you imagine that same thing in a restaurant? Oh, that's Joe. You're going to make a BLT today, Joe? Go ahead. Yeah, go you know, kitchen back. Right, exactly go what you're saying it. is instead of just giving them the same, it's everybody should get the same level of service. Yeah. You have a high level of service and this is who we what are. What do you get as a regular at a restaurant? And you forgot extra to make service. a reserve. Extra service. You get extra yeah. service. You get I discounts. Got you. I got you yeah. back. Here's your table. Part of that is because there is a performative nature to service that is part of the show that other people see. You know, it's not and then just, they want to become regulars. It's not just for the VIP. It's for everyone else to see just how special this experience can be. And they double down. Then they mm-hmm. want to be regulars too. I mean, there's nothing in the world that we can't acquire from our phones seated on the toilet. There's nothing that we can't buy. Mm-hmm. You can buy a house. You can buy a car. You can book a trip yeah. from the toilet. So the minute somebody physically walks into your restaurant, walks into your store, opens up a humidor and physically purchases your cigar, you have to over deliver on that experience rather than just give them the same experience that they can get on their toilet. Most and that's with that's with those check-ins and the thank you and the, you know, how are you enjoying it and what else can I do for you? Yeah. Those are all the things that online cannot do and will never beat yeah, it's it's not Real the same as service. it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago because that human element is kind of jaded now, especially with social media, phones, COVID. You know, when I walk in, you know, my my real job, I'm in sales. So when I walk into someone's office and I introduce myself, they're like, why are you here? You want to drop off a business card? I'm like, yeah, I want to see who I'm talking to. I want to know who's this, right. who's that. And they're like, oh, yeah, let me let me go. get. Then I get very confused that like some kid, some guy is walking into his his business and want to like shake his hand. It's very, very valuable as these devices are. They have, it's a social device. Mm -hmm. It's intended for communication and we've lost the ability to communicate without that thing. Yeah. There's nothing worse when you're in dinner and there's, there's there's children here and you know, they have a family and it's supposed to be a, a good moment, you know, supposed to interact. How's everyone's day? How's what's going on in your life? But when they just give the kid the iPad and then like the, they give the kid in the, the stroll of the iPad and they just kind of just ignore the kids. It's, Man, you even see it when you go to bars 
like drinking bars. Yeah. Man Everybody, bars. Everybody's on their phone. And everyone's yeah. sitting at the bar, shoulder to shoulder, on Facebook. Look at, <laughs> look a, at this you know is a else drinking you bar. You know what else you see? You see it on the plane. You're sitting shoulder to shoulder with somebody for like two, three, five hours, and you don't say a single hello, how are you? You don't say nothing. It's, have, be, it's become where you we see used it less, to, though, in places like this, I think. No, you do. You're right. But and it's become where, you know, 30 years ago, it was the phone was uh, an escape from reality, right? You had reality and the fantasy land was a res- an escape from reality. But now it's become everybody's in the fantasy, fantasy land and the real world is an escape from the fantasy land. Yeah. Because you spend all day, every day, just sucked into this device and you can be sitting next to someone saying, put the device down, say hello. And you'd have no idea how powerful just saying hello to somebody just could be. They could be going through the worst moment in their entire life and you could put the phone out and just say like, hey, my name is Justin. How are you? And it could change their entire life. talking to me. I don't know who he is. But no, now another way you see it, go into an elevator with somebody, right? You spend what, 15 seconds in an elevator? And what does everybody do? They look down at the floor. Not the guy's me. sitting right next to you. You I couldn't even say, eyes. hey, how are you? Yeah. How's your day going? Just say, what's up? You know, and they get off on the floor. Have a great day. Yeah. It takes 15 seconds, and you could change that entire person's life. I do. Uh, I want to transition real quick to some. Before we do that, we do have a uh, question from the audience. Uh-oh. Okay. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Here we go. <laughs> so. Yeah, so a federal judge basically told the FDA that you haven't provided enough conclusive evidence that's saying – Cigars are the same as all the other tobacco products that we deem tobacco nicotine. I think it's the deeming rule. You probably yes. know more than this than I do. Yeah, they lumped cigars, yeah. premium cigars, in with everything else and like the, c- uh, cigarettes and vaping products. The, they lumped, the cigar lumped lobbyist together. groups provided a lot of information about cigars and scientific information, and the FDA kind of just shunned it. And there was a judge saying, there's all this evidence here. I don't like what you did, and we're going to cut off the deeming rule for premium cigars it's going to get its own definition which was the big thing it's it's a in the in the most limited nature of cigars being handmade premium cigars that is the specific category that has now been afforded a tremendous amount of relief in our ability to just do business um there are still restrictions for flavored cigars, for cigars that don't fall into that specific category and definition. So there's still some challenges. Um, but what I think was so refreshing about what happened yesterday was the fact that a judge, just plainly based on evidence and facts, ruled that the FDA did not follow the guidelines and the procedures and and the law for that matter and that their overreach was uh, unacceptable and the fact that that was applied to something like this I mean I can't think of a a piece of legislation or a ruling that in any way has favored tobacco ever it's always mm-hmm. increasing age, increasing restriction, in, you know, smoking bans. There have been very few, with the exception of a couple tax laws, been very few things that have been favorable. But 
And the only reason that occurred was because their overreach was so egregious that he had to rule in favor of a category that he probably didn't want to. No, but like to your point is he just used common sense and logic and saw the evidence at hand and said, I can't agree with what you guys are doing. I think what you guys are doing is unlawful, Mm -hmm. is incorrect. And I'm going to agree and rule in favor of the cigar industry, From which a is sense, huge. What this has done, though, is since 20, 2007, uh, President Obama at the time gave FDA authority. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 2014 that the FDA finally said, okay, now we're going to get around to cigars as a category, which included premium. Then 2016 was when ultimately that deeming rule went into effect and was immediately met with litigation. Now it's 2023. So arguably, it's been a decade of uncertainty. And it is very difficult to develop a real business plan with that level of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when, yes. you're, when you're planning a product or planning a launch or planning whatever, you're, you're talking years out. Before you can actually launch, I mean, we moved quickly with Suma, in and that's two years almost yeah. of development. To think of what has taken place in that amount of time, things changed so rapidly that it it would cause projects to be canceled, pro- cause projects to be uh, delayed, have to be reworked, mm-hmm. just based on the what if mm. of regulation. Now we have clarity, but. It's not over. So all the FDA has to do is tomorrow say, we're going to start regulating handmade premium cigars, and here's our deeming rule, and let's go to comment period and see what happens. However, I think it's probably unlikely um, because the judge reflected in his – and by the way, if you have not read the actual ruling, it's 12 pages. It's the best – I actually started giggling reading it because he was almost a bit snarky in his ruling. Um, but he he has put the FDA on notice using the evidence and facts and citing the studies and the statistics in his ruling. I think that's set a bar incredibly high. And the reality is, by the way, FDA didn't even want tobacco in the first place. That's what the ATF was for. So they got given something that they didn't want to regulate, didn't know how to regulate, regulated the most dangerous part of it, and... Everyone agreed that ours was the most difficult to comprehend, which is why there were two options for regulation in the first place in 2014 that then they ignored and just said, forget it. Let's do everything. Yeah, because we, we talk about it all the time, and I'm sure you know this person, but uh, we've had on the podcast a few times a man named Josh Abersky. He's one of the uh, the leaders for the Premium Cigar Association. Yeah. Great and, dude. And the first time we had him on, he kind of broke, broke down the numbers for us about the amount of and the oh, whole yeah. circle of tobacco yeah, this is wild. cigarettes to premium cigar sales what was it 0.01 no it was le- it was less than half of a percent yeah, of so- all the tobacco sales in the country come from premium cigars yeah so 99 and a half, over 99.5% of tobacco sales come from either cigarettes or Vape or, or, or like you know the all dutch the- masters the backwoods mm-hmm. Less than half a percent comes from premium cigar sales. So his biggest, you know, argument was 
why are you regulating these the same way? You know, if it was 50-50, I get it. But one is 99.5% and the other is 0.5% and you're regulating them the same way. They're well, not the, the same the thing. Answer, the answer <laughs> would have been tobacco is tobacco. Nicotine is nicotine. Tobacco is addictive. All tobacco ha- has risk. And therefore, the FDA's crusade is to mitigate the risk to the most exposed populations. The more compelling evidence was on the usage. And once they got to the fact that the yeah. reality is 0.3 of 0.3%, something like that, <laughs> yeah. of youth had identified as premium cigar being something they used, yeah. right. which the judge cited in, in his in his ruling, he said it's it's not a it's not even a, a case. Yeah, because like like there's in, no risk. Because there, there's, there's I'm case, in high school, I yeah. would never think I never I'm you know, I'm thinking you know, everyone smokes weed, smokes cigarettes. I never yeah, thought about kids it. aren't underneath the bleachers chain smoking cigars. Yeah, okay? especially now, our risk today for young people is this is the fault. Yep. yep, and things that look and taste great and are easy to get. This has never been easy to get. Yeah, kids it don't have the not, money to spend on cigars. Are you kidding me? It doesn't taste like what they like. It doesn't no, smell like no, what they like. No, no, it doesn't. You stink afterwards, which I happen to you enjoy know. that aroma. Yeah. <laughs> but let's face it. This, this is as unappealing as it could possibly be. And and they, and they we actually have another question from uh, from the audience, but real quick to finish on this topic was the the they talk about, you know, kids. They say, oh, well, you know, kids are going to be smoking if you look at the average age, I mean, look at this room full of people that smoke cigars. Average age in here is probably what? Over it's going to be over 30, mm-hmm. maybe over 40. Easily. So there's no kids in here. Kids aren't smoking one. cigars, you know what I'm saying? So they we've say, "Oh, already, well, we've already a- done the other work." You have almost I don't know if it's entirely federal, but most states are 21 to start in the first yeah, place. Yeah, to even pick up a cigar. You know, we and we ID Retailers ID. I mean, I don't know a single retailer that takes a risk when it comes to youth access. Yeah, absolutely not. They're like, listen, you're in the wrong spot. You got to get out. That's right. So we have another question from the audience. What are the biggest cigar myths about the people who are uneducated about cigars? Yes. Fantastic question. Most of the myths, and I, I even hesitate to say myth, but I think there's a lot of misconception about health. As it as it relates to risk and usage. Wow! Look at this service. Oh, wow! Shout out to Jen. Look at this. Wow! Thank you. Look at this service. Can you uh, pass me mine, please? Yeah, Otherwise, I'm gonna yours. rip out my headphone here. Oh, this is this. I need this right now. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate I need that. This. I had wow. no lunch, so you might as well just yeah, shoot sure. yourself up with caffeine. You know. Yeah, big. I would say the biggest is definitely health. The health first, risks, first yes. And, foremost. and I, I will. People get sick from smoking. I mean, that's just a reality. Yeah. Um, there is. There is arguably nothing about this that is good for your body. But there is a Argu- lot about this that is good for your soul. Yeah, I was going to say arguably. And, and arguably. <laughs> for me, the biggest <laughs> distinction is this is a hobby. And other forms of tobacco, of nicotine, are habit. And... Mm. I find that what you get addicted to here is the moments that this brings. Yes, the experiences that Whereas, you have. Yes. For example, someone who habitually smokes cigarettes 
cannot remember the moment with a cigarette because every moment is with one. It's not special. Yeah. Um, the same with other forms of nicotine delivery, whether it's vaping, whether it's patches, whether it's gum, whatever you're doing, the, the, the product is nicotine. That is the last priority on handmade premium cigars. Nicotine is there, but it's reduced through curing. It's further reduced through fermentation. It's somewhat reduced through aging. And it's, it's mitigated in blending. So, of course, it has nicotine. But if you look at all the other ways premium cigars are enjoyed, they are the, the smoke rests on your mouth versus into your lungs. Um, they take longer. So it is certainly a, a moment in your day that you slow down and savor. And I think I think it really comes down to the misconception of habit versus hobby. Yeah. And I think people also generalize what they used to think of. You know, this this was not the hobby it is today, forty years ago. It was much more habit like. But cigars were also less premium back then. Now this idea that this thing is handcrafted in such a way that's intended to create a flavor that's profoundly unique from this one that's right next to it. And these are the reasons why there is no other nicotine delivery that is a hobby the way this is. Yeah. And And I would say too, that, you know, like you had said that there, you know, arguably, you know, this is bad for you, but there's actually been lots of, of research comparing cigar premium cigars with, you know, cigarettes and other, uh, smoking products. And they say that, you know, having, you know, one cigar a day or, or one to two cigars that actually has, you know, nil effect on your health in the long run because of the fact, um, as Mike was saying, that when you're smoking cigarettes, one, you're inhaling them and you're smoking them all day long. OK, the average cigar smoker average is not smoking two, three, four cigars every single day. OK, they might smoke one a day. Mm. They might smoke, you know, once a week whenever they get a chance. You know, the average, you know, cigar smoker, people like us might smoke a little bit more. But they're saying if you have the, the occasional cigar smoker is not doing anything to your health. You're not inhaling it. You're sitting. You're relaxing. There's much more uh, benefits when it comes to you know mental health and, and relieving your stress because we've actually done an episode where we talked one of the you know the leading causes of death in the United States is stress, right? Stress causes a lot of other things. Stress can cause stroke. Stress can cause um, heart ailments, right? Stress can cause a lot of suicide is another one that's caused by stress, okay? So if you have something that relieves that stress, it's doing more benefit to you than it is hurting you. Okay, that's why you know the gym is a great stress reliever for for a lot of people. Can't um, smoke in the gym though. Can't smoke in the gym. I do. I have a home gym, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say another thing too, and this kind of this goes more along the lines of um, the actual cigar itself. A common misconception that a lot of people think is um, that a Connecticut wrapped cigar and versus a Maduro wrapped cigar. They instantly think, oh, the Connecticut's going to be much easier, just much milder smoke, which is not the case whatsoever. Okay, it may it looks like it has a lighter wrapper, so it might be a lighter smoke, but that is a big cigar myth and is a big misconception. It depends on you know the blend of the cigar. 
in some cases you will have a Connecticut, you know, if they're having a milder smoke, they'll probably put on, you know, a Connecticut wrapper to maybe work well with the blend. But it's not always, always the case. There's a lot of times where Maduro tends to be a little bit sweeter than a Connecticut shade wrapper. He's smoking Ferriotego Elegancia. That's the perfect example that shade wrap cigars are not mild. Right. Because that cigar is full and rich and heavy and mouth filling and dense. It's not strong. It's not an ass kicker, but it does not necessarily smoke the way it looks. Right. I would. And another thing, I mean, and it's very, very simple. You know, when you post a lot of cigar content on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever, there's always people saying, "Well, you're gonna die of lung cancer. You're gonna die of this. You're not. You inhale cigars. That's that's a whole pack of cigarettes." Obviously, everyone in this room knows that you don't inhale cigars, and that's a big misconception. Everyone thinks when you smoke a cigar, you're well, inhaling I'll tell you, it. So, a lot. Of blenders, inhale. I've heard that actually. Yes, every puff. But I can. I've been in this business twenty four years. Sadly, there are a handful of folks who are no longer with us. I don't know any of them who have passed from a smoking related illness. Yeah. That weren't cigarette smokers, also. Because I and I. Yes. And I always I always try to find cigar related medical documents like any studies of people actually inhaling cigars or dying from cigars or getting lung cancer from cigars and i i can't really Dude, so part, part of the argument has been you know well there's there's not enough research that's also because there's not a big enough problem yeah right you know what i mean exactly. like, go yeah. back go back to what we had 100%. talked about with the percentage of sales right there's 99.5 percent of the sales in america come from from cigarettes so no wonder there's going to be a large database to to pick your you know your your studies from not a lot of people are smoking but there was also cigars. there was also a serious national crisis as an effect of so much cigarette smoking that then caused research right. development mitigation etc yeah there's not enough problems coming out of the cigar <laughs> smoking no problem here <laughs> there's no you problem know, here a, a burn hole in a shirt is not is yeah. not a crisis we actually there was another study that we did on that same episode um talking about the uh the one to two cigars a day have have nil risk on your health we found a study that talks about uh, health risk and they normalized it so what that what that meant was for somebody that doesn't smoke cigarettes and doesn't smoke cigars hasn't touched either of them they would have a baseline of one. Those that touched cigarettes, uh, whether they currently smoke cigarettes or they have in the past, their increase of health risk was almost 100%. It went from 1.0 to 2.0. If you smoke like, you know, strictly cigarettes all the time, it was like 2.5, 2.0. They broke it down to all different categories, whether it was heart ailments, lung ailments, you know, all these other um, different diseases. Those that smoked cigars only, never touched cigarettes, had zero impact on their health. It was, it was I, want, I don't want to say it was zero, but it was minimal. It was to the point where it did not show up on the scale. Great. So for those that are smoking cigars, it, was, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't have as much of an impact as people think that it does. Oh, you're smoking. That's an impact. No, it's not an impact. There's been study after study after study, and I can personally say, like, this does much more for me on the good side than it does on the bad side. I haven't had any, you know, physical effects whatsoever, but my mental health has been besides much smell, be- besides, besides stinking, but you know, 
Hey, listen. Speaking of effect, what effect is Suma having on you right now? It is. Well, considering been... I haven't really eaten anything, my head is a little spinny. Good. But feels good. It feels I, good. I will say. Draw is good. The burn's um, good. It, it actually, is. I was canoeing a little bit, but we evened out. That was probably my fault because I was jibber I'm enjoying every puff of it, and I will say that. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the pairing with coffee I have actually, this is espresso. I have a cappuccino and now we have espresso. I like it better with the espresso. The pairing is killer. Yes. Yeah. And for I me, do this think is, that. This is pure fudge. It this is, is for nice. sure. I can say, now that you say it, from the first puff, it's yeah. very nice. When you say fudge, now that's what it reminds me. It's yeah. weird. It's weird when you're, when, you're taste, when you're tasting a cigar and you're trying to pick up these flavors, unless someone's talking about it or if it's in front of you, at least personally for me, I don't really, I don't really get that. And until you said fudge, I'm like, oh shit, you know, I have that. You eat fudge, you have that. Exactly. It's like mouth. I was going to say a dark chocolate where it's not like a super uh, sweet, but it's kind of got rich. that rich. Yeah. Like, you know, you have dark chocolate it's not, and it coats it's your not, mouth. It's not fudge that you get in the plastic bag at the gas station. No, it's fudge. This, like, this is chef's fudge. Dark chocolate savory, fudge. Yes. Decadent fudge. So where do, you, where do you see cigars going in the next 10 years, in the next decade? You know, being that this, this ruling just happened the other day. You know, where do you see that going and where do you see cigars as a whole going in the next 10 years? I think people are looking for relief. Mm-hmm. And as things are becoming less social, people crave opportunities to socialize. And let's face it, this provides a very unique opportunity to socialize. I think that there is... I mean, if you look at the, the cigar trends, it's it's really just a cycle. You see cycles in strengths and intensities. You see strengths in... For, you see uh, cycles in formats. You see cycles in pricing. And it's it's purely a, um, a result of a brand or a company needing to diversify. So like in this moment in time, people are like, oh, Lanceros are really like coming back. Well, that's because 60s were the rage. So everyone led with the 60s and 70s and 80s. And now how are you going to expand your line? 38. And now Lanceros become the rage. So everyone starts doing Lanceros for the next three years. And then how are you going to diversify? 60. Yep. You know, it's purely yeah. cyclical. So we are on the cycle right now coming off of the face-melting Lajero bomb um, cycle. Yeah, I could see that, And yep. into what I believe is much more in my wheelhouse, which is balance, flavor over ferocity. Um, I think there is, a, there is a return towards a degree of elegance mm. um, in flavor, in format, that... For me, it's certainly a, a welcomed restoration, but it's also something that I never abandoned either. Um, so even over the years, we released Sterling in 2013 when everything was 60 ring gauge box press, Nicaraguan, Lajero, face melting bombs. <laughs> and we we launched four sizes that didn't exceed a 46 that was shade wrapped and mild, creamy and delicious. That was complete opposite of trend, but I also saw that as an opportunity to fill a hole. Yes, um, release something that everybody that not everybody has. 
Yeah. Everybody's pushing one thing. I'm going to go over here because why am I going to blend in with the crowd? That's, if everybody's that's doing it. this, I'm going to do something else because then what if somebody's going in there looking for, well, I don't want all of that. I can get that every single day. I want something else. But I think what's what's the most exciting right now is having the handcuffs removed from a creative standpoint. The The risk that anything you create might be pulled off the market that's a yeah. that's a level of risk that causes you to to um, restrict creativity. So you couldn't come up with a new size. You couldn't change box quantities. You couldn't change, you know, material changes for core items could be considered new products that would be subject to review yeah. and approval. With those restrictions now lifted, I think you are going to see creativity in the cigar industry that you have not seen in. Easily a decade. All right. So, uh, so we have a question. So, so, the, so the question is, what, what do you see differentiating uh, these lounges from other uh, lounges that may not be, you know, doing so well? And then, what is uh, something that you hear from the consumer that is missing from the industry today? It's, you know, when you travel around the country, every state, every municipality has a different set of restrictions when you go to texas every single cigar shop has a bar full bar and nobody's there at half of them which is astonishing because i'm like if, if there was one cigar shop with a full bar in new jersey there'd be a line out the door <laughs> i'm there you know i mean <laughs> i'm there so there's all there's so many different models and 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 uh nuances market by market but i think what you see is these sort of two schools of thought. One school of thought is the, um, this lounge is your lounge. We're here for you. You want a game on? We put the game on. You want, uh, you want to bring in X, Y, and Z? Bring it in. You can come in anytime. You can move the furniture around. This is your place. Make yourself at home. The other school of thought is this lounge is mine. And these are the rules. This is the service that we provide. Um, take it or leave it. And I see them kind of, there's less and less of that middle ground. And I actually think that's a very good thing because what's, what's differentiating is the model. And this idea of trying to be something to everyone just does not work. So you can't have a very polished high-end, high-service experience and then permit people moving furniture and people doing all the, you know, it can't be both. So you have to pick your model. This is what we are and this is what we're not and go all in on that model. And the places that are the most successful I've seen are the ones that have squarely identified what they are, what they're not, and they go all in. And I don't think there's a right or wrong, whether it's more social, this lounge is for you, or whether it's more polished, you know, this is the business model and these are the rules. I think what's important is that people are taking their businesses more seriously than ever before. They're creating a business model and they're sticking to it. So it's like along the lines of... Um 
you had said you can't please everybody. And that's like a general rule of thumb for, for all walks of life, right? You can't please everybody. So do you, whoever, whoever that, whatever model you want, be that and just go with it. For me, this, it's, it's the Gordon Ramsay model. Like if you ever watched Kitchen Nightmares and he would walk into those restaurants and there was like a tiki bar with a barbecue smoker outside <laughs> and a menu that yeah. looked like a Greek diner. He's like, pick one. And portions, <laughs> right. And so to me that I always, if I walk into a joint and I'm like, all right, this is Kitchen Nightmares. Because yeah. you can tell, you know, they have snacks over here. They have this over here. They have a lounge over here. They have cigars over there. It's like. Yeah, you got conflicting ideologies. Yeah. You're like, you got to pick you one. You can't do okay? that anymore. You have to pick. You have to go all in and you have to do it right. And going back to what we said before, the fact that everything we want is a click away. You have to, you have to differentiate yourself with an experience that you cannot get on this thing. Mm. And I think for those who are in this business for the long, or any business for that matter, if you're in a brick and mortar face-to-face business for the long term, it takes a real, takes real discipline and discretion to say this is what we are, this is what we're not, and this is how we are going to level up above click to buy. I like it. That's a great question. I have a, uh, a personal question. Oh, okay. Well, it's really for me and Justin, or Justin and I, but for we have our own cigar brand that we just released about a year ago. You know, shout out Blueprint. Being Congratulations. That, thank thank you. you. So being some newcomers into industries, what would be a some words of wisdom for people who are just starting a new brand and getting into this industry. Best practices to do. Things to avoid. Yeah. Someone asked me the other day, uh, I can't remember the exact question, but it was something like, how do I get your job? Like, I want to do this. Yeah. And so I said, that's easy. You go to Berkeley College of Music for four years (laughs) and you get a degree in drum smashing. Then you move to New York and you do retail for six years with no promotion or raise and then you move on to a next chapter and then after 24 years of working your tail off then you start a cigar business and they looked at me like i was nuts easy right that's a long business plan the reality is there's no there is no rule book to go follow you know there's no step-by-step thing Mm -hmm. what i can tell you is when you learn a little bit of of something you feel like you know way more than you did before, but you don't know enough to realize how much more you still have to learn. Sure. Mm. 24 years in, I know way more than I knew 24 months in, but I also realized just how much more there is that I'm just not going to learn. Mm. You know, And we are living in a time where there is this need to be an expert. You can't just be a hobbyist. You have to be an expert. And I think that's disappointing because it takes away some of the some of the enjoyment of of just discovery. We have to get back to appreciating the process and progress. Mm-hmm. So if you're, I mean, I I applaud anyone that's willing to put their money where their mouth is and try and build something. But you know as well as I do, there's no fast way to build a house. You have to start with a foundation. And if that foundation isn't built right, doesn't matter what you put on top of it, it's going to fall down. Fall down. Mm. And we've we have eliminated the um, the celebration of the foundation, and instead people are just 
popping houses up yes. and pointing to it. Yes. And that's the problem. It's right. kind of like right. um, I heard something one time where it said it takes uh, 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Right? And it's what you see now with this whole, uh, you know, going back to social media. I don't want to harp on social media. I know we, you know, beat that horse dead. But uh, you see these people, right? And and they, they just come up, appear to come out on the scene. And you're like, man, that, this I saw this person five months ago. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they got a million subscribers and this, that, and next. I said, yeah, but what you didn't see is the five years or the seven years or the ten years yeah. that they were posting shit or they were doing stuff and nobody knew who they were. Yeah. You didn't see all that. You no. just happened to see it now because they put all that work in and now they're big and they're popping up on your on your feed. But you didn't see the ten years of shit, yeah. right? What's his name? Uh, uh, Mr. Beast, right? Biggest YouTuber there is. Okay, He's got 100 million plus subscribers okay guy spends millions of dollars every single video people didn't realize that he was posting crap for like 10 years just posting and posting and post and creating videos and wasn't going anywhere and then all of a sudden in like two years it just exponential so but people don't the, realize the story that. of nearly every artist yes right any great band any great chef any any great artist who who truly works their craft is doing it not to be big, but to be better, right? I mean, a true artist knows that there is no such thing as perfect and that there's no such thing as, as arriving, for that matter, either. Like, there's no finish. Yeah, there's no, the, you know, to embrace the, the journey, yeah. I think we've lost, we've lost that in, in business mm-hmm. where you, there's suddenly this moment of arrival. That's, you're, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And also, I mean, you're talking about building a, Cigar business, you have to do a lot of listening. You know, I mean, it's not just put it out there and and expect people to embrace it. And I'm evidence of that. I mean, hell, I've been traveling nonstop because it it's just not that easy. You have to be willing to do all the extra work and tell the story and meet people and shake hands and say thank you and ask what can I do better. You know, learn from your mistakes, pivot, tweak. It's it's uh. You have to be agile and you have to be disciplined and you have to be thoughtful. And I also have to be very clear on what I am going to do and what I'm unwilling to do. You yeah, know? it goes back to what you had said with the, you know, with the lounges is you got to pick like, this is what I'm doing. Right. I, 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 if that's what you want, if you want this person, that's not who I am. That's not what this brand stands for. Bro, look at us. You we can don't get have, that elsewhere. but We don't have limited editions every month. We don't have, you know, this whole slew of store exclusives. We don't have significant marketing uh, activations. It's just not who we are. You know, we're, we are who we are. We're small. We're boutique. We're family owned. We have a pretty big portfolio of cigars. I, it takes the same amount of effort to keep the good ones good as it does to make new ones. Sure. And I believe in core. So I'm going to invest my time and money keeping the great ones great and making sure that they're always in stock and they're always consistent every time you buy them. That's the Ferriotego model. Hmm. So what I got from that was immerse yourself in it, figure out your own path, and that's and your business model. What do they say? Embrace the suck, right? Matt Ryan from the, from the Atlanta embrace Falcons. The suck. When he lost When he lost the Super Bowl, he said, you got to embrace the suck. It's the only way you get better. That's it. So um, I know we're, we're probably coming to the end. Yeah. Coming to the end. But I think what we're going to do now is probably take you know, a quick little break. Um, before I have a couple more questions I want to ask her, I want to ask, you know, obviously your 
big into fashion. I definitely want to ask where that came from because we are both big into fashion. And I want to ask about, you know, what the next thing coming for Ferry Otego is. But I do want to take a quick little break, grab a little refreshments, maybe a quick, you know, snack or something, and then we'll we'll come Good. back and finish up the uh, the episode. Drain the main vein for sure. All right. All right, we'll be back. <laughs> All right. 